Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 72 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds, to flesh out a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today, we take a deep dive into the Supreme Court decision in Digital Realty Trust versus Summers, where the U.S. Supreme Court, in a 9-0 decision, narrowed the definition of a whistleblower under Dodd-Frank to only those who report directly to the Securities and Exchange Commission. In this podcast, we consider the implications of this in the real world for corporate America, compliance officers, compliance programs, and for corporate legal departments. It's a fascinating exploration of what happens when a court gets the legal part right but completely misses the rest of the big picture. Compliance in the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the Digital Realty Trust v. Summers decision, which came out by the from the U.S. Supreme Court last week. I won't go into the details of the legal reasoning, but to suffice to say, the Supreme Court said that for the purposes of Dodd-Frank whistleblowing, uh, both incentives and protection, a, a whistleblower has to go to the Securities and Exchange Commission first um, before they go to a company. So uh, Matt uh, had one of the most unique posts I've seen recently where he created a, uh, I think you called it a tweet storm with 10 different it is. tweets uh, articulating uh, many, or 16 different tweets rather, articulating many of the um, issues that uh, need to be fleshed out that we're going to take a deep dive into. So Matt, uh, it seems like to me you've organized these in some manner. Can you tell us how what your thought process was on the tweet storm? Well, you know, I just, I look at this case and I, I think that the important themes are number one, the Supreme Court decided this case correctly. It took the law. It looked at what the language of Dodd-Frank said, and therefore it ruled that, no, whistleblower protections do not apply to someone who has not reported to the SEC. The language of the statute says you must apply to the SEC. So this is a case that was legally correct. Uh, not a big surprise, because when the oral arguments were happening, I think back in November, most of the justices were hinting that this is where their minds were going. This was a 9-0 decision. It's not like this was any really difficult legal case. But the way I described it was that this is legally correct, but operationally dumb, because in the real world, at real companies, this is absolutely not what the compliance department will want. This is not what a corporation overall will want. You're still going to have a lot of anti-retaliation laws uh, that are going to require your anti-retaliation policies anyway. But the Supreme Court just sent a big screaming signal to everyone. If you want protections under the Dodd-Frank Act, you have to report first to the SEC. Well, that means they're going to report to the SEC. Come on. This is not that hard. Um, So I think of it more as a pro-legal department decision because legal departments will like that they have a little bit more flexibility, but it is really anti-business because businesses want certainty so they can then pursue their objectives. You, this decision doesn't give them certainty. This, you get certainty by knowing what's going on in your organization. And this ruling clearly tells whistleblowers they should go outside the organization first 
And then who knows what might happen. And if you're a compliance officer, this is not at all what you want or the message that you would like to have people start picking up. So that that's where we are. So uh, picking up on that thread, uh, Henry Cutter writing in the Wall Street Journal quoted Thomas Sacaro, who's the vice president of white collar and investigation groups at Paul Hastings for the following. I think for businesses, for companies, it's a matter of be careful what you wish for. I think that the consequences of the decision is whistleblowers are now made more likely to report to the SEC. And I think most companies would prefer employees to report internally. So I absolutely agree with that. And if we can maybe flesh that out a little bit more, Matt, the, um, the really the downside, a uh, couple of downsides I see. The first is in the area of trust. Um, mm-hmm. There are several commentators, uh, Barbara Kimmel Brooks, Barbara Brooks Kimmel, who uh, really talk about trust as a key component of a corporation and certainly a a key component of a best practices compliance program. You trust that if you raise your hand, you're not going to be terminated for that. Well, now companies have carte blanche uh, to terminate employees for that. And so in the corporate, uh, for corporate America, I find it really a great or very damaging in, in the area of trust but also in terms of what a compliance officer is trying to build. And that's largely built on trust. It's built on uh, obtaining information from those closest to the problem, i.e. your own employees, and then using that information to uh, either prevent something from worse from happening or, if it has happened, to go ahead and remediate it. So I think that uh, by... um, this decision will negatively impact corporate America and their attempts to garner trust with a wide variety of stakeholders, specifically including employees, but also makes the job of a CCO uh, much more difficult now because they now have to, uh, and you really hit it in one of your uh, tweets, let me see if I can find it, where it said that, um, well, you basically said that the compliance the legal function could undermine the compliance function uh, by simply following this ruling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that if you're a corporate lawyer, if you're a law professor, if you're outside counsel, I see why you would think this is a good ruling because it clarifies the law. However, the legal department's job is to reduce liability risk for the company. And now that they have a new weapon to say, no, employee, you cannot file a claim under Dodd-Frank because it doesn't apply, like that's good. They get to reduce liability risk. However, just because we have reduced one type of risk, it doesn't mean that other risks, they're suddenly bubbling up. Um, First off, you still have other whistleblower anti-retaliation statutes on the books that still apply in the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. You have anti-retaliation protections under equal employment law. I suspect at least some state laws address this point, or if they don't, because Congress is not going to amend Dodd-Frank the way it should, uh, if they don't, this is the sort of issue where I could see state attorneys general getting in on the act and trying to push forward uh, whistleblower protections at the state level. And now you maybe have multiple regimes you have to worry about. Um, Like you said, Tom, there are issues of trust. Uh, This could wind up pitting a employee against the company I know something here, but now I know I have to report to the SEC first so I can protect myself. Um, it's like there's all sorts of other risks on a very practical level that are bubbling up. And I think that the sum total of them is much greater 
than what just got reduced on the legal liability front. We pushed down one sliver of risk and we pushed up a whole bunch more. The totality of risk is higher for businesses. Um, when you were quoting uh, one law firm there from Paul Weiss, I actually came across another article in Corporate Counsel magazine quoting one of the lawyers from uh, Labate and Shukaro, I think that's the name of the firm, uh, where they were saying that this decision is good for business. I Really, like, how is this good for business? This is good for defense lawyers, but this is not good for business, which is ideally not in court. Uh, for those organizations that want to go forth and do what they do, this this is not a good decision. You know, I, I absolutely agree. And, and Roy Snell had a little bit different angle on this. Um, he said that in his experience, when he was a compliance officer, Oftentimes, if something came in, whether it be the hotline, whether it be anonymous reporting, or whether it be non-anonymous reporting, many times an employee, an employee might not understand uh, what they believe something was a securities law violation, and he would take that information and actually sit down with the employees and walk them through both the law and the regulation and the facts and demonstrating mm -hmm. this was not a problem, or at least not a legal violation or a compliance violation, and was able to persuade them that uh, they had taken the appropriate steps, but they didn't have to go any further. Now the CCO has no ability to do that, um, so that the, the implications really uh, continue to cascade. And you really point out, I thought quite well, is what does reporting to the SEC now mean for the SEC? I mean, Roy thinks they're going to be inundated. Uh, you know, it's funny because that it came up uh, this past weekend in New York. The Practicing Law Institute had its SEC Speaks uh, conference where every SEC official current and past who still has a pulse, they were there. They were talking about various SEC issues, and they brought this up um, on several occasions. Some current and former SEC officers were saying this is going to result in more calls to the SEC with the clear implication to the current SEC people basically saying, sorry, guys, because it stinks to be you now. Um, they are already overburdened. They are already struggling to follow up on enforcement issues. They're going to have a lot more calls. One question I have is what sort of adjustment the SEC might make to its whistleblower policy. You know, if I call up and leave a voicemail or speak to someone on the phone, if I submit a complaint by email or if I submit a tip, do I now, am I covered? And now can I do what I want? Because most employees are going to think that's the case. Um, I do know on the SEC's rulemaking agenda, at some point later on this year, there was a item for whistleblower protections that was very cryptic. We didn't really know what that meant. I think it was a placeholder for this decision which now has come to pass, so I wouldn't be surprised if the SEC tries to revisit its whistleblower guidelines. But, um, yeah, they're going to be inundated by a whole bunch of people who don't necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, I can give you another good example is what if I think I see a accounting fraud, and so I think I should complain to the SEC, but actually it's a foreign bribery case with a criminal element, and so the SEC turns this over to the Justice Department, which would be the normal course of things. But does that now mean that the company might lose its ability to voluntarily self-disclose to regulators because 
a whistleblower already inadvertently disclosed it to the Justice Department when they called the SEC because they didn't know what they were doing because employees are not lawyers because this is messy. Um, and then how does that work in a practical basis? I mean, because I could call you up and SEC and not hear back from you for years. And I go merrily along collecting my data, thinking I'm in on some big thing that I'm going to blow the whistle. And there's so much gray area that this decision creates. I, I have some sympathy for the SEC now that they have to unravel this mess. So currently, uh, there's a, a fairly rigorous process for submitting a claim. It's more than simply picking up the phone and calling a line. It's mm-hmm. more than sending an email. You actually have to fill something out. You have to sign it. You have to submit it. Uh, many whistleblowers will go through a lawyer, and they will help them vet the claim uh, and help the SEC in uh, providing documents and other information, which may allow the SEC to, to more accurately or more quickly evaluate, uh, evaluate the claim. Now all of that may go away. And then the question becomes, as you raised, what's going to be enough to secure Dodd-Frank uh, protection with the uh, what I think would be a multifold increase in whistleblower complaints, coupled with last term's Supreme Court decision in Kokesh, which limited uh, certainly the FCPA to a five-year statute of limitations. I think you're absolutely right. The pressure on the SEC is going to, to increase exponentially, and the SEC itself this uh, has found this to be an incredibly rich source uh, that they can mine for securities law violations and information which has come to them, which they were previously not aware of. And so, the, uh, you know, the SEC clearly wants to continue their whistleblower program, uh, but I'm just afraid they're going to be inundated now. I, I do think that they are. And, you know, frankly, other elements of this administration don't seem terribly interested in sticking up for whistleblower protection. Um, on the other hand, there are a fair number of people in Congress who are. Uh, so maybe, maybe crazier things have happened. We would see some effort to bolster whistleblower protections. Um, but then, you know, the other thing that I also think of is for all of our hand wringing over this, let's remember the single biggest business story in 2017 was Uber and the whistleblower there who outed Uber's mismanagement around sexual harassment, which led to all the other gory details of Uber's very rotten to the core culture and leadership. The company is lucky that it has managed to keep itself together. And then that led on to the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein getting fired, Steve Wynn getting fired, so many other people getting fired. None of that had anything to do with Dodd-Frank whistleblower protections. But if you ask your board, are they ecstatic over this new, uh, I guess, absolution from whistleblower protections under Dodd-Frank? Are they excited about that? Or are they terrified of becoming the next Uber, Harvey Weinstein or Steve Wynn? That's what they're terrified of. And whistleblowers will still be able to take their anti-retaliation concerns to the court and public opinion very easy to do on Twitter these days, and suddenly it has blown up in your company's face, and this is what preoccupies the board. So all of these anti-retaliation issues that we're talking about, all of the programs, all of the speak-up culture, all of the training, all of the posters in the boardroom, you still need that for all the other stuff that could easily trip up your company in a much worse way than most of what the Don Frank whistleblower protections really deal with on a daily basis. Um, 
it just seems like, like I said before, this is a pro-legal department anti-business decision because none of what you worried about last week before this decision, none of that has gone away. But you now have even more stuff you do need to worry about because the whistleblower anti-retaliation climate has become that much more uncertain. Somebody tell me how this is a good idea for any business. Let me pick up on another thread you uh, uh, talked about, Matt, and that's the issue of self-disclosure. But let me take a step back and pose the following. If a whistleblower now goes to the Security Exchange Commission, uh, properly submits uh, their claim, um, they are now protected under Dodd-Frank. And with the now uh, higher number of whistleblowing complaints to the SEC and the reduced amount of uh, manpower, both in resources and headcount, that the SEC would have to evaluate these, it may be that it takes two, three, maybe even longer years to get to the the complaint. And during that time, if there was a uh, securities law violation or criminal act, that would only get worse and fester. And so when the SEC came to the company or, or the Department of Justice goes to the company, and, uh, uh, and initiates an investigation, whether it be through a subpoena, whether it be through a letter or whatever mechanism, uh, it says to the company, uh, not only did you not self-disclose, but we have, uh, uh, you should have found this out. And they will present to the company the documents, the internal documents, which showed um, the information they had. And so I really see it as almost a double whammy on companies. They'll lose self-disclosure credit uh, that may throw them out of getting a declination, and the problem will get worse. I absolutely agree. Um, I just I don't see how this works on a practical basis. Um, and, and I I think, I'm trying to recall now the oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court back in November, but I, I do recall several justices were saying, basically, we know this is not the ideal outcome, but under the language of the law, we don't really have much choice but to interpret it the way it is. Um, and that is not a good thing. You know, really, it is incumbent on Congress more than anybody else to clean up this mess because they made it with the Dodd-Frank Act, which was as big and messy and so many moving parts and you know, unintended consequences as you can imagine. I don't think it would be a heavy lift if the political appetite were there for Congress to codify the SEC's previous standard into law. And that would solve all of this. Um, will Congress actually do that? I don't know. And then, you know, like I said, there are so many other anti-retaliation laws that also enter the picture here. Um, I can, I don't know, maybe give one example. You know, what if a, what if an employee thinks that they have a whistleblower issue under Dodd-Frank that's actually also might qualify for protection under the False Claims Act because you're a government contractor? So, do anti-retaliation provisions apply under one part of under one law, but not under the other? Like, there are a zillion different fact patterns that are going to make this really difficult for companies to put into practice. And then, like you said, um, eventually the SEC might come along with a legitimate issue, and they've known about it for years, and the employee never told you because they were scared. And tell me how this makes the company look better. I, I. Like, I hate to sound so grim for compliance officers, but this was this is just not a good idea. This was not a good move for anybody involved in actually running a business in a compliance program. 
Well, uh, on that uh, somewhat low note, it's probably a good, <laughs> a good point to end. Um, we have taken a deep dive into the Digital Realty Trust versus Summers case, and both Matt and I fear that the negative consequences of this 9-0 decision will be long-lasting and widespread. So, uh, Matt, perhaps uh, next week we can talk about something uh, more upbeat, like uh, GE's two years of er- income re- re- uh, restatement they announced today. Oh, yeah, the party never stops. I mean, I would just say to compliance officers, at least in the near term, the good news is you don't really have to do much different because your risks, I don't think, have really accelerated all that much in the last few days. You're like, oh, my God, what do I do right now? what you keep on doing. And then it's really up to the regulators to see how they're going to respond to this and you respond to them. But I do remember the, um, the old saying that people overestimate a big events effects in the short term, underestimate the effects in the long term. I would keep that point in mind with this decision because I think that is going to be very true. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions on this podcast, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help get the word out about the only weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into the compliance weeds to flesh out a compliance-related topic. I hope you will join us again next week where we again take a deep dive into the compliance weeds in the podcast Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance into into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.